Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Sunday, September 3rd. What's up, everybody? It's been a minute since it's been me on a solo podcast because we've been fortunate enough to have a bunch of fantastic guests. So first and foremost, want to say what's up to all you guys. Appreciate you guys still listening to me in the middle of the NBA offseason. And if you are in the mood of showing support to Words with Wallace and you haven't already checked out any of the past couple episodes, I really, really encourage you guys to check it out. We've had some fantastic guests from the Locked On Podcast Network. Um, I did some outreach to the, you know, a handful of folks on the Locked On Network that I listen to, podcasts that I personally enjoy a great deal, and unbelievably got three of the guests to come on. Um, really great response rate from the Locked On Podcast Network. And again, just a quick shout out to my guy, Darian Vaziri. He does the Locked On Clippers podcast. Vivek Jacob, of course, covers the Toronto Raptors and does the Locked On Raptors podcast. And then, of course, my guy, Brendan Clean, who does the Locked On Suns podcast. Again, was super fortunate to have all three of those guys on my last three episodes. So if you haven't already, check out those episodes. But we are back. We are continuing our ranking series, the final ranking podcast episode in which we will be ranking the top 10 big men in the NBA for this upcoming season. Uh, so let's let's not waste any time, guys. Let's get into it again. Appreciate you guys hanging with me throughout the middle of the NBA offseason. I don't want to waste a ton of your time, so let's get right back into the ranking. So this was a pretty tricky list. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty disappointed with the number of big men on this list. I'm sure if I had broken it up and done, you know, traditional power forwards and traditional centers, uh, that would probably make this list even worse. Again, we are just going by big men here. And some quick disclaimers like I always do before I get into it. These are players that I want to have on my team for next season. It is just the top 10 players, top 10 big men heading into next season. It does not factor into account their contract. It does not factor into account their age and where I project them to be several seasons down the, down the line. No, here are the big men I want on my team if I am trying to contend for a championship in the 2023-2024 NBA season. And this list was really tricky because there aren't a ton of big men in the NBA that are real difference makers, we will say, right? Um, you know, there's only a handful of guys that really impact the game at a high level that play the big man position. And I think you'll kind of see that even a couple guys on this list, like spots nine and 10, were really open to my interpretation before you get into eight guys that really can impact winning in a real way. But, you know, off of the list, for honorable mention, there's a ton of guys that are probably at least worth mentioning that I did not ultimately give a spot to on this list, right? Like, Guys like Miles Turner, Rudy Gobert, DeAndre Ayton, Rob Williams from the Celtics, Nick Claxton, uh, Vucevic on the Bulls, Brooke Lopez, our defensive player of the year race this past year for the Bucks, Jonas Valanciunas with the Pelicans. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that, like, sure, if you really wanted to make the argument they're deserving of 9 or 10 on this list. Like, I hear you. I just don't think any of those guys are real difference makers at this point in time that are that above the league average center. Um, you know, I think if I had to pick one guy from that list, it probably would be Miles Turner, who certainly leads the league in fake trades that hasn't been traded yet now that John Collins finally got shipped out to Utah, right? Um, I think Miles Turner sneaky had a really good season for the Pacers last season and can shoot the three ball at a decent clip while protecting the rim as he has his entire career. So he'd probably be number 11 on this list, but didn't quite make the cut. Again, same with Gobert. Uh, obviously, some, some major weaknesses in his game. Same with DeAndre Ayton. Uh, the vibe I was getting from Brendan when I had him on the podcast is that Suns fans are not the biggest fan of Ayton, so I think that says a lot. He did not make this list, and so, yeah, man, it was tricky. I think there's a lot of guys that you could argue in 9 or 10, but that is not the direction I decided to go. At number 10, I decided to go with Evan Mobley of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, 
it's a bit of a stretch, right? Like, I, I like Mobley. I'm pretty high on Mobley. I know a lot of people in the NBA media circles are super high on Evan Mobley as well. I think some of that is obviously projecting, right? He was number three overall pick in 2021. He's shown a ton of promise. You know, son of a coach. He makes really fantastic decisions on the court. He's already an elite defender in the NBA that also has some positional flexibility and versatility, which I hold uh, in very high regard when I'm, cons especially when I'm ranking big men here. The issue is that he's still really raw, right? Like I think if you look at his st statistics from last season, which were, you know, 16 points a game, nine rebounds, three assists, two blocks, you know, 55% shooting from the field, which is solid, of course, but only 22% from three, you know, we really are projecting him to develop a jump shot at some point in time, especially from beyond the arc, uh, to which he has not yet done. But because I am projecting a little bit, I think he's going to continue to add things to his game. I think that jump shot and the playmaking will come along a little bit. Obviously, he was pretty tough to watch uh, in that first round playoff series against the Knicks in which the Cavs uh, embarrassingly lost to the New York Knicks in the first round. I think a lot of that was because the pairing with him and Jared Allen, Jared Allen in a playoff setting really does not work too well, right? You got two guys that can't really play make, two guys that can't really space the floor. It's a, it's a really outdated way to play, especially when we get to the playoffs here. So Either way, though, I do think Mobley gives more defensively than basically everybody I left off of the list. Obviously, Gobert, purely in terms of rim protection, you'd probably still give him the nod there. But I think what Mobley provides as far as flexibility like, is what I value a little bit more. So, again, I'm projecting a little bit, but I love the defensive upside of Evan Mobley. I think he will continue to add to his game. And I think, you know, halfway through next season, I think it will make sense that he's at least a top 10 big man in the NBA by, like, let's say, you know, December, January of next year. Moving on to number nine, and again, this was a tough, a tough spot too, right? There weren't, there weren't many obvious choices to fill out, you know, number nine and ten on this list. If I missed anybody, you guys can let me know, and you can call me a homer for this pick. But I am going with one of the newest members of the Boston Celtics in Kristaps Porzingis, right? If you want to tell me, Nick, there's no shot in hell that that trade works out for the Celtics. There's no shot that he is able to stay on the court long enough for that to be a positive trade or for him to be a positive asset for your basketball team when you account for, you know, his availability, when you account for how much money he's making, yada, yada, yada. I get that. I, I do. I understand how there's a million different ways that this Chris Depp trade could go poorly and he does not look like a top 10 big man in the NBA next season. But I think he has an upside that not many other players and not only many other big men in this league do. He's seven foot three. Last season, he had arguably the best statistical season and, and probably the best all around season of his entire career. He played in 65 games last season. He averaged 23 points a game, eight rebounds, three assists, two blocks a game while shooting 50% from the field and almost 40% from deep, shooting 39% from three point range. That's a fantastic season, and there are there's not many people that have ever walked this earth that can can do that at seven foot three like Kristaps can, right? Like I know he's not the same you know unicorn as he was branded when he first got drafted by the Knicks. It's not you know 2019 2018 anymore, right? That being said, he's still a really special talent. I think he still has an elite upside. He can still space the floor while protecting the rim, and that combination you know of of being of rim protection and floor spacing at that height is not is really unlike anybody else in the NBA, what, what he can provide when healthy. And again, the Celtics, for their case, he's going to be a tertiary or third option at best for that team. So I think he is slotting into a good spot. And look, you know, all they need him for is, is you know, maybe 40 regular season games. And then obviously for him to stay healthy between the months of April and June for that trade to hopefully pay off big time for the Celtics, which I'm hoping and thinking that it will. But again, Kristaps still has a really elite upside. He just doesn't play it in enough games for me to put him any higher than number nine. But he certainly has the talent to be a top 10 big man in the league. And I feel pretty good about putting Kristaps at number nine. 
now we're getting into, you know, obviously, I would say eight real difference makers on this list. And it starts off at number eight with Carl Anthony Towns. I'm not the biggest Towns guy. Personally, I think uh, many of you guys that have listened to this podcast for a little bit or just know me personally know I'm not a big Towns guy. But I cannot disrespect Carl Anthony Towns' talent and what he can bring uh, to the offense of an NBA team. So I have him slotted in at number eight. Statistically, last season, he did play in, in a little less than 30 games. I want to say he played in like 29 games. So um, obviously take these stats relatively like, uh, lightly, you know, 21 points per game, eight rebounds, five assists, one block a game, 50% shooting from the field and 37% shooting from three point land. I know Towns loves to talk about himself as if he's the best big man shooter ever. Uh, probably not, bud. That's still Dirk. <laughs> it's still going to be uh, Dirk for the foreseeable future until Towns shows he's capable of making big shots from deep in the playoffs, which he hasn't had a lot of experience playing in uh, at this point in his career. And now look, I think Towns, he does, he did kind of catch a bad break last season between the injury and then his own front office screwing him over by trading for Rudy Gobert. You know, what I like about Carl Anthony Towns is he is extremely talented, right? Obviously, with that, with the perimeter shooting, his ability to, you know, line somebody up at the top of the key and put his head down and go to the basket while still having, having some semblance of an inside game, right? I think if I was picking nits against Towns, like, you know, I think I'd like to see him get to the post a little bit more when and take advantage of smaller matchups because he is really strong, really physical down low, and sometimes he can fall in love with that outside shot. But look, the talent is undeni undeniable for this guy. You know, 21 points per game was actually the second lowest scoring total of his entire career. He hasn't scored that little since he was a rookie, so clearly he was a bit out of sorts between the injury and, and bringing in Rudy Gobert. Um, and then, you know, rebounding wise, I think that was the second lowest, you know, rebound numbers for him last season on the career as well. So not great, you know, season from from Towns altogether last year. But again, a lot of that was because of injury. And, you know, what makes Towns so special is, is you know, him, what he brings to you, to a team at the five position is unlike many other people in the entire NBA and his front office is like, hey, let's let's make him a four and let's just get Rudy Gobert, who ruins your floor spacing, who can only stand right next to the basket. It just, it definitely was an adjustment for Carl Anthony Towns, and I want people to keep that in mind. Um, I don't necessarily love the guy overall, but he's still extremely talented, one of the best shooting big men in the entire NBA. Uh, would expect a bit of a bounce-back season from Towns next year, and, and let's see if he can earn his spot at number eight or higher on that list heading into next season. At number seven, this is where I had Jaron Jackson Jr. of the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, for me, obviously, offensively, it's, it's night and day compared to Towns and Jaron Jackson. He's not the most, you know, offensively talented player in this book. But what, what Jaron Jackson brings you on the defensive end of the court is what I find truly valuable. That is certainly the highlight of Jaron Jackson's game, being the reigning defensive player of the year. And I think, you know, especially in terms of big men, what I value, I, I value defense the most in terms of my big men, right? I need someone who is not only able to protect the rim, but also to step out onto the perimeter and still hold their own when defending on the perimeter. And Jaron Jackson is the rare example of both, right? He averaged 19 points a game last season, seven rebounds, only one assist per game. You know, the playmaking from Triple J is, is basically non-existent, but still averaged three, over three blocks a game, actually. And again, when he is, you know, caught up in a switch guarding, you know, the other team's best wing, the other their team's best ball handler he doesn't look like a fool when he guards in the perimeter which I really love about Jaron Jackson he shot 51% from the field and 36% from deep so definitely does provide some floor spacing as well again for him just to take the next leap it, it's going to be on the offensive side of the court you know what moves can he put to memory to, to create 
his own shot when the Grizzlies need a bucket. If Jaw's not feeling it, again, their half-court offense is not the best. That's probably the weakness of the Grizzlies team. So if he can bring along his individual offense, um, that would help the team a little bit. Obviously, for him to provide some playmaking as well next season, that's ways he can improve. But again, even if he doesn't improve whatsoever, I think what Jaron Jackson brings to the table is really unique. A truly special defender and rim protector. Feel pretty good about putting him at number seven on this list. Moving on to number six, I think this is where my list gets a little bit controversial. You guys can let me know. This is where I had DeMontis Sabonis of the Sacramento Kings. Now, Sabonis uh, was on the All-NBA team on the third team, right? It was kind of that no-brainer option behind Jokic and Embiid with the amazing seasons that they had last year where Sabonis slotted in at number three. And I felt very strongly during the regular season that it was a no-brainer decision to put him on the third uh, third team All-NBA over, you know, guys like Jaron Jackson Jr., over guys like Carl Towns, over guys like Chris Dobson, over guys, a few guys in which we haven't even named yet, because that's how special Sabonis was. Obviously, the Kings were one of the best stories of last year's NBA, right, going from you know outside of the playoffs to a number three seed in the Western Conference is extremely impressive. The issue is that Sabonis did get exposed in a pretty big way in that first round series against the Warriors. Now, again, it was only one series. The series ended up going seven games in which the Kings blew a lead. Steph Curry dropped 50 points in game seven to push the Warriors on to round two. And a large reason was because Sabonis was kind of neutralized by Kevon Looney and some of the coaching strategies that Golden State employed. Now, look. It is pretty difficult for Sabonis, a guy who had only played in a few playoff series earlier in his career with Indiana. I'm sure they were both first-round exits in, like, 2017 and 2018. So, you know, his first real playoff experience is, you know, one of the centerpieces of a team. So I don't want to hold that against him too much because he was really special in the regular season, right? uh, 19 points a game last season, 12 rebounds, 7 assists as well, which is really impressive again. Obviously, we praise Jokic, and rightfully so, for his playmaking how well he sees the game, but uh, DeMontis is probably the second best passing big man in the entire NBA. He makes a lot of plays from the high post for that Sacramento team. Only averages about a half block a game, shoots the ball 62% from the field, 37% from deep. So, you know, in totality, is he a elite defender? No. So that that's, you know, you got to hold that against him a little bit, right? And just, you know, what Golden State did to him in the playoffs. Again, they basically, you know, were not scared by his outside shot whatsoever, despite the fact that he did shoot 37% in the regular season. Um, you know, they just repeatedly left him wide open for mid-range jumpers and for outside jumpers. And then Sabonis, you know, just looked really psyched out and couldn't even take advantage of a smaller defender in Looney covering him for most of that playoff run. So, again, if it was up, just if you ask me after the regular season, I definitely would have had Sabonis at number five on my list. But couldn't quite put him there because of the playoff shortcomings. But, again, he is an elite big man in this league. I think he is, you know, definitely the second best player on Sacramento. Uh, and the Kings are really lucky to have him. And I think that that Indiana trade between Halliburton and Sabonis does look like a win-win at this point in time. Moving on to number five, this is, again, I value playoff success. And this is where I have Bam out of bio, right? I think, again, I would have felt a little crazy putting Bam above Sabonis just after last year's regular season. But as we know, Miami went on to make a fantastic NBA Finals run. Every Miami fan uh, should be thrilled with the play that they received from Bam Adebayo and really their entire team. And, you know, had to give Bam a bit of the nod for the playoff success. Statistically for Bam last season, 20 points per game, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 block per game, shot 54% from the field. Really the biggest non-shooter we have on this entire list, which is funny. I didn't, I knew Bam wasn't a a heavy three-point shooter, right? I knew he didn't take that many, but I just felt like because I feel pretty comfortable with his mid-range jump shot, he must have shot a decent percent in the regular season. But nah, he really just 
shoots one three every 10 games. So I think he shot like 9% last year, really not worth uh, marking down here. But, you know, with Bam, he's pretty unique, right? He's, he's obviously pretty undersized to play the five. You know, he's six foot eight, six foot nine. But what, again, what, what I love about Bam Adebayo is his flexibility and versatility on defense, right? He is not the best, you know, pure rim protector at that height in the NBA, right? But he can still protect the rim. He can still guard in the perimeter. And again, I had him as my defensive player of the year last year, right? It's kind of a, a word that's a, a crapshoot. And every year, in my opinion, I just love what Bam brings to the table. And what I love the most about him is that his style of play works really well in the playoffs, right? He has that interesting, like, mid-range floater, you know, high post jump shot, uh, aspect to his game where he can play make he can you know he's he sees the court pretty well he's obviously pretty deadly in those dribble handoff situations with jimmy with him coming off bam like that um so there's a lot of different ways where miami has been able to scheme around bam as a lot of time their second best offensive player which is pretty crazy to say and again i just love his defensive versatility so i have to give him the nod at number five on this list moving on to number four this is where we see a pretty big tier jump right i think any of the guys in the top four uh, could not only be top four big men in the entire NBA, but they could be top four players overall. And at number four, this is where I had Anthony Davis of the Los Angeles Lakers. He's a guy that's been penalized, obviously, a ton for his availability. If you want to talk about his uh, being a durable or dependable guy, I don't think you can say that's Anthony Davis. But what you do know when you get Anthony Davis and when he's out there on the court, I would say 100% of the time you're getting a truly elite you know, game impacting rim protector and defender. Uh, I felt like his defense, especially down the stretch of the regular season when the Lakers had to win games to even get into the playoffs, was he was incredible. And then night in, night out, every single playoff game, whether they were playing Memphis, whether they were playing Denver, it, whether they were playing Golden State, uh, I felt like Anthony Davis's defense in the playoffs was was truly extremely impactful. And, you know, you could maybe argue he was even the best defender in the entire playoffs. You know, statistically for AD last season, 26 points per game, 13 rebounds, three assists, two blocks per game, 56% shooting from the field and only 26% shooting from deep. Obviously, that jump shot has always been iffy his entire career, especially once you get beyond the arc. Really, with the exception of the bubble season was really the only year I felt like you could really count on that jump shot. But even without that jump shot, offensively, I would say exactly 50% of the time, you're going to be getting an elite effort from Anthony Davis. It just felt like, you know, especially in the playoffs, right, he would be getting, you know, putting up 30 and 20 or, you know, 35 and 15. And then the next night he would only put up like, you know, 12 and 10. But that being said, the defense was consistent. The offense kind of comes and goes. But, you know, the, I do believe the Lakers are one of seven teams heading into next season that could actually win a title. And that is because when Anthony Davis is healthy, he can be a top 10 player in the entire world. I think he's shown that. I think he showed that for actually the majority of last season when he was healthy. I think, again, if he had played more than 56 games last year, you would have saw a real push for him to be that third team All-NBA center. Um, and I think you would have saw some even some MVP buzz with Anthony Davis because he is that special when he's healthy. I do think that, you know, he was durable for the most part down the stretch last year, and uh, we have to put some respect on his name. And because of the ceiling that he can provide, he deserves to be number four on this list. At number three, this is where we had the reigning MVP, Joel Embiid, right? What is there to say about Joel? He had obviously the best year, uh, best season of his entire career and, you know, deservedly so, won an MVP. I think obviously the top three guys in this list were, oddly enough, the top three guys in the MVP race, all playing the big man position. Embiid last year, statistically 33 points per game, 10 rebounds, four assists, two blocks, shot 55% from the field and 33% from deep. I really am not an Embiid hater. I really don't mean to disparage Joel Embiid, and it's not really me 
not respecting Embiid as to why I put him at three. I just think that the two, top two guys on this list are in their own class, have proven to win in the playoffs at the biggest stage to carry their team to titles even. Again, don't want to spoil anything. And Embiid just simply hasn't done that, right? Embiid, on the other hand, has obviously never even made it to the conference finals. So that, that is obviously the big differentiator between uh, Joel Embiid and the two guys above him on this list. But just focusing on Embiid for the sake of the argument, I do think he is one of the most physically dominant big man this league has ever seen. He is incredibly skilled, albeit frustrating to watch with how often he gets to the line and how much he, how many uh, beneficial calls we'll say he gets from the referees on a consistent basis. But that being said, Embiid is, is an absolute nightmare to guard. Anybody in their right mind would love to have him on his team. You just want to see him have the right cast of characters around him to get over the hump, to achieve some playoff success, to make it to, at the very least, the conference finals. And then people will really start to take him serious as a top five player in the entire world. But until that point, I think there's two guys squarely above him in the big man conversation, and we will leave it at that. Moving on to number two, this is where I had Giannis. Giannis, you could probably still make an argument of, of him as the best player in the entire world. Um, I think he's definitely the best two-way player in the entire world, for what that's worth. Kind of an interesting term, right? Uh, but again, obviously a, a former Defensive Player of the Year, a former League MVP, a former Finals MVP, What's there to say about Giannis that hasn't already been said? 31 points per game last season, 12 rebounds, 6 assists, a block a game, 55% shooting from the field, only 28% shooting from deep, but we've come to expect that from Giannis at this point. I don't think he'll ever develop a consistent outside jump shot, and I don't think he ever needs to either. He's a one-man fast break. Um, I absolutely love Giannis. Again, I, I think if we weren't, if we didn't just witness one of the best finals runs in NBA history this past season, then I think he would still squarely be number one on this list of top 10 big men in the NBA and number one on the entire power rankings of what player you'd want on your team. I think Giannis is that good. I think everything he provides off the court, charismatic guy that the fans can rally around that you can put on the posters. You know, he has the exact you know, personality that you would want from your superstar player. So I absolutely love Giannis. I just have to tip my cap to my number one spot. Nikola Jokic um, as the best player in the world and the number one big man on this list. Jokic, we all just witnessed him on the biggest stage, obviously carried the Nuggets to a finals win. 25 points per game last season, 12 rebounds, 10 assists, one block per game, 63% shooting from the field, 38% shooting from deep as well. Uh, yeah, man, I think Jokic is, is arguably one of the best big men we've ever seen. Uh, I just think because of recency bias, right, I have to give him the nod over Giannis. I think that his supporting cast was solid, but not great. But they were really never in doubt their entire run. They rolled through the Western Conference. They never even made it to an elimination game on, on their side, which is pretty incredible, right? Obviously, they never even made it to a game uh, seven at any point during their run. Just a really impressive run from the Nuggets overall. And you, and you can't say that without Jokic, right? Obviously, he won... MVP to the previous two seasons before this last season, you could have made a great argument, especially if you look and value the advanced analytics and all those advanced stats uh, that Jokic should have had a three-peat as far as the MVP race, which would have put him in truly elite company. But he doesn't even need that award because he has the finals MVP. That's really all that matters. I do think it's pretty safe to say that Nikola Jokic is the best player in the entire world. All right, guys, that just about does it for my list of the top 10 big men in the NBA. Just to recap, let's go through it. At number 10, Evan Mobley. At number 9, Kristaps Porzingis. At number 8, we had Carl Anthony Towns. 7, Jaron Jackson Jr. Number 6, DeMontis Sabonis. Number 5, Bam Adebayo. Number 4, Anthony Davis. Number 3, Joel Embiid. Giannis at number 2. And then at number 1, of course, we had 
Jokic. Definitely let me know what you think, where I went wrong, if I flipped some guys around, if I left anybody off this list that you thought should have a spot at number 9 or 10. Definitely let me know. But that just about does it, guys. I think we'll keep to the same schedule that we're on, one episode per week. Not going to give any hints as to what the what holds for the next episode because, honestly, I'm not sure myself. Hopefully, we get some NBA news. We get some headlines that we can dive into in next week's episode. But until then, be sure to follow at Words with Wallace everywhere. YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to share the show. Tell a friend. And I will talk to you guys next week. Peace.